Good morning. I don't think I've ever been in all of your homes at the same time before. So this is kind of interesting and fun, you know. Some of you need to consider not eating breakfast while you're at church and we're, we're walking through this whole thing, but that's okay. We're just thrilled that you've tuned in. Uh, obviously, if you've tuned in, then you know how to do that. Uh, if, if you go through the week and you can't quite get it figured out, uh, give me a call and I'll, I'll try to walk you through it or, or whatever. Um, this is just an amazing thing. Uh, I'm glad we can meet like this. Uh, we plan on having a lot of fun uh, in the next few weeks. I want to thank especially, uh, they didn't know I was going to do this, but Matt and Bailey Parker, they're doing the recording here and they're making all of this possible. So uh, this is just, uh, technology is just wonderful, is it not? So we invite you and encourage you that if you feel there are people that you know, family members, that maybe they, they don't go to church, they have no desire to go to church, but they wouldn't mind maybe trying watching something on YouTube, that uh, maybe they would, they would be interested in, in watching this. And, and by the way, um, the Moody Church is doing wonderful things as well. So there are, there are a number of places you can go and be spiritually fed. Uh, but I'm just thrilled that we can meet together. And uh, we're going to walk through this together. God bless you and uh, praying for you. Good morning, everyone. Today is Sunday, March 22nd. And I am quite sure that none of us really thought that we'd be meeting like this just uh, a few weeks ago. So I wanted to take just a few minutes this morning to encourage you, a few minutes meaning 30 or 40 minutes, uh, about what we're experiencing uh, as a family today. But uh, this is not going to be a uh, public service announcement on coronavirus or anything like that. We are going to get into the scriptures because obviously that's where all the answers to all things are. So we're going to study the significance of who God is and who we are as God's children. We will begin by reading the 139th Psalm in its entirety. And this may sound familiar to some of you because we sing a song that's based on Psalm 139. As a, as a matter of fact, uh, you will hear it this morning. So Psalm 139 Beginning with verse 1 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to remember and we are reminded daily of your goodness and your holiness and your majesty. Uh, Father, in times of uncertainty, uh, I pray that we all draw close to you. Uh, we have no fear, Lord, because we are in you. And yet, Lord, our flesh rises up sometimes. And it wants its own way. So, Father, I pray uh, for our flock, for your flock here at the Gathering Community Church. And, Lord, in the, uh, in the weeks ahead, may we be comforted by you and encouraged by you. And may we celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the scriptures always have a timely message for us. And the reason for this is because God's Word is alive and active. The Bible is not merely a document with words on pages that can be read like a novel or a textbook. The Bible is God's story, and His story centers upon God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you and me. So naturally, God has something to say to us at this appointed time in history. In times such as these, it is not unusual for people to be reminded of how frail we really are and how dependent we are upon many things that are outside of our control. However, rest assured, and I do mean rest assured, that our God has always had a plan for you and for me, and God's plan cannot be thwarted. As believers in Christ, we are God's beloved children, we receive God's individual attention, and we are under God's personal protection. These are good things to remember, especially today. So let's begin with the fact that we are God's beloved creation. Now we have shared many times here at the Gathering Community Church the scriptures in Genesis, the account of the creation of Adam, we learned how God formed Adam and how he was uniquely formed. He was form, formed from the dust of the ground. God used the dust and then he molded it into his image. And when he was done molding Adam, he drew him close, much like a father would cuddle their newborn baby. And the, uh, breathe, he breathed the breath of life into him. So the first thing that Adam's lungs were filled with was God's breath. We see this referenced in Genesis 2-7, when the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In Job, we see the same miracle referred to, but in the present tense. Job 33-4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. This is Job speaking. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. God is still active in our lives, even in our beings. So here's the point. God had an intimate moment during the creation of Adam, and he continues with the same level of intimacy with humankind today. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the same intimacy with you, not just as you were born or as you breathed your first breath, but every day, every moment, every second. There's even more detail available to us in the psalm that we just read, 
Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13, says this, You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God had our days planned for us before we are born. The NLT says it this way, and I think it's a wonderful thing on that last verse. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The scriptures never speak like this of any other of God's creation. Just us. In Isaiah, God expands this truth to all humankind. In Isaiah 64, 8, this is what we read, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, we are all the work of your hands. So even if it was only Adam that he formed into his image, that is passed down to every human being. Humankind has always been and continues to be the most precious of God's creation. Contrast is this, Lucifer was his most beautiful. But we are his most beloved. And if we are His beloved, then we are the most valued of God's creation. There's a very familiar scripture that helps us understand our value in comparison to the rest of His creation. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 26, we read this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer is, of course we are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Finally, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's easy to be anxious right now. You know, we all have different fears and we all have different reactions. Some people have great fear about being destitute. Some people have great fear about relationships. And some of us have great fears about medical things. What can we depend upon 
from God in difficult times. When we know we are a very special creation to Him, we are of the highest value to Him. Psalm 121, verse 1 says this, this lift, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. We are a very special creation. It's the first lesson for this morning. We are God's beloved creation. Secondly, we receive God's personal attention. I remember years ago, when I was in fourth grade, okay, many, many, many years ago, when I was in fourth grade, the entire school was seated at an assembly in the gymnasium. This is one of those gymnasiums that... There's a stage on one side of it, the gym floor, and then there's bleachers at the back. And our class had an assigned seat on the bleachers very close to one of the exits of the gymnasium. Entire school was seated there. It was back in the times when schools had um, stringent rules about things that would probably be laughed at today. But one of those rules was you could not chew gum in school, in class, on the playground, any place. So I'm sitting with this one friend of mine on the bleacher by the door, and he takes out a piece of gum, he takes out actually two pieces of gum, and he pops one in his mouth, and he gives one to me, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I, I pop a piece of gum in my mouth. There's hundreds of people in the gymnasium, by the way. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way we're going to get caught. But I will never forget the fear that engulfed me when as soon as the assembly was over, the principal stepped through that door and she pointed two fingers, one at me and one at my friend, and she said, you two, come with me. I was scared to death. Much of that fear was a realization that out of hundreds of kids, she was able to pick us out of that crowd and know exactly what we had been doing the whole time. It didn't matter to me that there were hundreds of kids looking at her. What mattered to me was that out of hundreds of kids, she was looking at me. She knew me. She knew my name. She knew where I was seated. She knew who was going to win the battle that was coming. And she knew the defense I would try to make. She knew all of those things already. I want to remind you of Psalm 139, verse 1. See if this sounds familiar. Lord, you have searched me and known me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You know, when you're in the fourth grade and the principal of the school points to you and says, come with me, and she takes us down the hall, and I'm thinking, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I was just amazed that she could find us in that crowd. 
This is exactly how God sees us, by the way. You know, sometimes we can assume that there are billions of people on earth and that to God we are just one of the billions. When in reality, to God, we are one in a billion. Each one of us is unique with a unique story and a unique plan that God has mapped out for us. God may see the masses, but He knows us by name. Isaiah 43.1 says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I've called you by name. You are mine. The Apostle Paul says the following to his fellow workers in Philippians 1.6. This is going to be familiar with you, to you. And I'm sure of this, that he, meaning Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. We learn that the real reward comes at Christ's return, not here. Therefore, we are to fix our eyes on the day of Christ's return. In Luke, we find a wonderful parable that tells us that we are singularly important to God. Luke 15, verse 3 says this, So he told them this parable, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So this is what we know. Jesus not only knows us as individuals, but he rejoices within our salvation. Never to be forsaken, by the way. How do we know this? Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never forsake you. God pays personal attention to us. He knows our thoughts. He knows us by name. He knows his plan for us. He also says this, I will never forget you. Isaiah 49.15 says this, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God is saying to us, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He will never forget us. He sees and hears us. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous 
and his ears are open to their prayer. We are his most valued creation. And we receive his personal attention. Next, we are under God's personal protection. When we talk about being under protection, a number of things might go through our minds. We might imagine a famous person walking down the street with two or three big muscular bodyguards. Or we might picture the secret service surrounding our political leaders. Or we might think of the witness protection program and the isolation that comes with it. But the question might be, if you needed protection, who would you choose to protect you? Well, when I was thinking about this question, what came to mind to me, for some reason, was all the Chuck Norris jokes that's been out there forever. Chuck Norris is so tough, he makes onions cry. When Chuck Norris enters a room, he doesn't turn the lights on, he turns the dark off. Giraffes were created when Chuck Norris gave an uppercut to a horse. When Chuck Norris was in middle school, his English teacher assigned an essay, What is Courage? He received an A-plus for turning in a blank page with only his name at the top. Chuck Norris doesn't cheat death. He wins fair and square. Chuck Norris has a diary. It's called the Guinness Book of World Records. Chuck Norris once bowled a perfect game with a marble. I hope you're laughing because I can't tell. Superman owns a pair of Chuck Norris pajamas. This is very current. Chuck Norris got coronavirus. Now the coronavirus is in quarantine. As tough as Chuck Norris may be, or as thorough as the Secret Service is, there are still insurmountable problems that cannot be dealt with when protecting someone. Number one, no one knows the future. Number two, no one can anticipate every potential threat. Finally, no human body card can be every place they need to be every time, even if they are aware of the threat. Let's read the next few scriptures in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
We are never beyond the reach of God because we are never beyond the reach of God's love. And God's love and God's protection are inseparable. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8:37 we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Some good questions to ask might be this. Why does God protect us? Isaiah 43.1 But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The reason God protects us. He created us. He formed us. He's redeemed us. And He calls us by name. Another question might be, from what do we need protection? Well, several things. He protects us from the tribulation of the world. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He protects us from the tribulation of the world. He protects us from self-condemnation. This is really important, I think. We have probably all met many people who might have what the world would call a very poor self-image, a person that struggles to feel value and becomes very emotional. And it can become tragic. Well, he protects us from self-condemnation. Listen to this, 1 John 3.20, For whatever your, So whenever your heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Even when our heart tries to convince us that we are a failure or are beyond hope, God speaks the truth to us. God also protects us from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. God protects us from fear. Isaiah 41.10 I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's look at that a little more closely. God tells us we should not fear. The first reason we should not fear is because God says, I have chosen you and not cast you off. I've not rejected you. I've chosen you. It's the first reason we should not fear. God is saying something very important here. He is saying, I have chosen you. You did not choose me. I have chosen you. Why is this important to understand? You can choose to love someone, right? And they have no control over it. You choosing to love them is not contingent upon them receiving your love or even acknowledging your love. You and you alone can make the choice to love someone. Most parents understand this very well. Our children did not choose to be born. 
We chose to create them. There is something within us that is naturally drawn to loving our children unconditionally, even if they do not return that love. Perhaps some of you are struggling with that or you have struggled with that. There's a breakdown in that relationship. It's heartbreaking. A wayward child naturally receives more of our prayer time than the one who is secure within the flock. It's just the way it is. Because it's a life or death situation. Eternity is at stake. Unconditional love. Even if your children were to say they no longer love you, it does not stop your love of them. Granted, when love is reciprocated, it is more rewarding and fulfilling. But choosing to love someone is only dependent upon you. God is saying that He made the choice to love us and we receive certain benefits of that love regardless of how we respond. So the implication here, however, is that if we choose to love Him in return by receiving Christ, and by the way, that's the only way you can prove your love for God, we benefit in the following ways. Isaiah 41.10 that we just read, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Therefore, fear not. Well, why not? Because I am with you. Be not dismayed. Well, why not? Because I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you. That means to prop you up. I will prop you up. So we ask, well, how does he prop us up? What does that look like? The last part of that verse in Isaiah 41 says, With my righteous right hand. God knows our situation. He knows our circumstances. He knows our weaknesses and our strengths. He knows how and when the enemy will attack us. And he is saying, I have this. Why? Because you're my beloved creation. And you have my personal attention. And you are under my personal protection. And finally this. God requires total devotion. What does that look like? Well, first and foremost, it's salvation. Now, all the encouragement you may have heard in these words this morning are really for believers. They're not for non-believers. These are the promises God makes to His children. The children who are adopted into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to recognize is this. If you do not understand or if you do not know Jesus, if you have not received Him, that's the first step to be His beloved creation and to receive personal attention and under His protection. And some of you may be saying, well, I've gone to church all my life. I think I'm a pretty good guy, pretty good gal. 
Paul says this in Acts 17. Religion does not save you. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. These were pagans. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In God who made the world and everything in it, says Paul, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's an interesting phrase. He has created ways for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ to suddenly have an interest in spiritual things. Because perhaps you may feel your way to find him. And yet he says this, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Today we might say, we may not read a lot of poets unless you're you are in school and you love literature. Our poets today are singer-songwriters. And all the way through the current part of the century, there have been poets that have had incredibly powerful voices. And occasionally you will hear one of them asking the right questions. What is there to live for? Where can I go? But they also give equally wrong answers. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward me and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our, our being, as even some of your own poets have said, even as some of our songwriters have said, or the stars of the stage. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, says Paul, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The world was filled with idols. It's filled with idols today. The times of ignorance got overlooked. The many times when you could have lost your life without receiving Christ, there was mercy. The times of ignorance got overlooked. We can no longer say we just didn't know any better. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead.
Jesus is the answer. He's always been the answer, and he always will be the answer. God's beloved creation. God, we receive God's personal attention, his personal protection, and God requires total devotion. So believers, speak to you for a moment. What does this look like? What does total devotion to God look like? I think you're going to be surprised. Psalm 100, beginning with verse 1, says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We belong to him. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture... How else do we show devotion? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We can ask the question, why? And verse 5 gives us that answer. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. In trying times, in times of uncertainty, in times of fear, and anxiety. As fearful as we may be on the inside, as anxious as we may be on the inside, as believers, here is the remedy. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, to all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, and bless his name. Might be quite the opposite of some folks that don't know the Lord. But this should be a description of those of us who do. Can I just remind you, your days are numbered anyway. God has a time appointed for time to be born and appointed for uh, a man to die. I think we should be wise, yes. Just because God has appointed a time for us to die doesn't mean that we go out in the middle of the freeway and sing songs. That's foolishness. So we mustn't be foolish. But we must not fear. And the first step for you is to receive Jesus. Well, how is that done? Two words. Receive, I'm sorry, repent, receive. Repent and receive. Repent means to turn away from your sins. Doesn't mean you will never sin again. It just means that you have made up your mind. This is no longer the life you want to live any longer. You want to receive Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Does it take a special prayer? No, it doesn't. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. Sometimes we Christians get all excited about making sure you say all the right words. And I can guarantee you that people have said all the right words in front of me before and they're no more safe when they left. It's the heart. 
Do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Well, this might be the prayer that you should pray. God, I do not know much about you. I've never read the Bible. I've never prayed. I've never studied. Or God, I've been to church all my life and I still can't figure out what it's about. But Lord, I believe what you're telling me right now is I have to make a conscious decision to turn away from my sin for the purpose of receiving Jesus Christ. And that prayer might sound like this. God, I turn away from my sin. Jesus Christ, please come into my life and be my Lord. Amen. That's the prayer of salvation. I hope this has been encouraging to you. We don't know where the future takes us, but I'm kind of excited about it, really. I think we need shaken up occasionally. Thank you for uh, spending this time with us. God bless you.